I'm Scott Prather here on the Great Scott Show, ESPN 1420, and as promised, joining us on a Monday morning, the perfect way to kick off your week. College pro analyst, college football analyst, pro football analyst. He works in show business. Man's a chameleon. Been in it a long time. That'd be Mr. Mike Detillier, co-host over at WWL AMFM in New Orleans as well. Of course, he is the man behind, as I like to call it, the uh, the draft Bible, the Mike Detillier NFL Draft Report. Good morning, Mike. How's life, my friend? How you doing? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Football season's here, so uh, I'm in a much better mood. <laughs> I, I, you know, I've been accused of the opposite um, because my listeners are, are saying that I've been a bit too negative in regards to the the Saints' 2021 outlook, Mike. And before I really, you know, kind of dived in deep to, to Saturday night's preseason game, I just, I, I Cliff's notes version. I've looked at the Saints' off season, which was. I would say a difficult one. I'm not saying it wasn't without a couple of wins, but you know, it, it wasn't ideal. The, the training camp got started. You got a lot of injuries. I, I feel like this team is is below 500 this year. Yet I don't I don't think that they're going to be drafting first. You know, next May. Um, but I, you know, again, that's the Cliff's notes version. I have my reason why, which is subject to change based on the next couple of weeks. But do you feel like simply? looking at it objectively that I'm being negative, you know, that I'm being accused of being negative, or is that just some of the fans speaking here? Where are you at with the Saints and am I just am I just a, a just a negative person in general suddenly out of nowhere? <laughs> no, I no, I understand where you're coming from. This is a season of change, of transition. Uh you were able to keep the vast majority of your core players on your football team. Uh, but you also had to lose some guys that were had played a big part in helping you win. Uh, and you look at over the last four years, when you win 11 wins, 13 wins, 13 wins, 12, in the regular season, man, that's pretty strong. And now no Drew Brees, no Malcolm Brown, no Janoris Jenkins. Um... And you talk about buzzard luck, <laughs> you got it. You know, with the Michael Thomas situation, on your model suspension for six weeks. Um, who knows what's going to happen with Deontay Harris and Marshawn Lattimore, which is probable suspensions there. Um, I could understand. But this also is a league of where coaching, and I think – a certain amount of credit in being able to build a team that refuses to lose does matter. And so I'm not on the losing side of this, but I'm right on the winning side. Cause I think this is a nine and eight, eight, nine type team. I, I picked it nine and eight. And so I'm going to stay there, but I could understand your point. Uh, you know, uh, when you look at all the change, and you not you even hear it now, Scott. You hear the head coach talking about uh, the situation with Drew Brees when getting on a plane, and he would sit right beside me, and we'd have these long conversations. Okay, he's sort of telling you um, when he opened up training camp this year. The first 
press conference he had with us when it was brought up about change. Uh, is this any different than any other year? And, oh, no, 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 it's, it's the same as it's always been. Uh, you know. And then he said, but my job is to build this team through the draft, assign undrafted free agents, uh, bring in select uh, free agents from other teams, and build in that manner. In essence, what he was telling you is this team's going to look a lot different than you've seen the last four, maybe five years. Because they always had veteran depth. Today, the depth you have is all young guys. And so, in essence, he sort of laid out the game plan in front of you of what you're going to see this year. And it's going to be a lot more rocky roads, a lot closer games, Mm -hmm. a lot of situations where if you have an injury, you can't turn to the veteran. You've got to go with a young player. And so this is a year of transition uh, on for this football team. There is no question about it. No matter what somebody wants to debate you, it is what it is. And preseason, um, I watch individual play because that, to me, is much more important than anything else. But I got told this years ago when I first got in this business, so it ain't yesterday, Richie Pettibone. Uh, who was then the defensive coordinator with the uh, with the Washington football team? Richie would tell me, and Michael would tell you something. And I always remember it. Preseason's the biggest mirage in the world. You think you got something, and when the regular season hits, you find out these veterans have been playing in a real low gear. You know they know they got the team made. You know now most of them know it, and all of a sudden. In September, when they kick it off, you see a different brand of football. So he said, man, you know, these teams that beat their chest about what they did in the preseason, a lot of that is mirage. You know, you can't go with it. So um, we're seeing a lot of play from a lot of young players in the preseason. And guess what? Those guys you're going to have to call on during the regular season. That wasn't the case over the last three or four years. It wasn't the case. You had a veteran guy that if something went awry or an injury or whatever, you were able to plug and play. It's not the case this year. Just We knew eventually this would happen. But one thing was Sean. I think he's a terrific coach. And he's got a real strong coaching staff. And they have some guys on this team that have been through <laughs> – uh, you know, uh, difficult situations in the postseason, but they have rolled it in the regular season. But the one thing's been consistent. This team has had some difficulties early on in the season. Uh, they've struggled a lot, like a track sprint. Uh, you go back from 26, over the last five years, from 2016 until today, the Saints have been 12-9, and nine in the month of September. That's what some of the best teams for you've seen in a Saints uniform. 12 and 9. They've been 17 and 1 in the month of October. 17 and 5 in the month of November. So, when the schedule came out and I heard all these guys and they giving you they spinning you these tales about Man, let me tell you about who they play in October and November. 
you know, and I told everybody, hey, if you all these analytical geniuses that want to spout you all these numbers, but they can't figure out that this team has not gotten off the quick starts, you know, they haven't done it. They've struggled at times. And even games they've won, they've struggled. That, to me, I think the early part of this season is going to be the telltale for this team. And, you know, you got to hope that a little bit maybe Aaron Rodgers would be a little miffed. Maybe he wouldn't mm-hmm. play in game one, but yep. that ain't happening. Um, you know, and then Carolina and New England, those first three games. Uh, I think that those are critical games for this football team. And because I we have seen it by the time October hits, Sean has got this team rolling and playing well. But early on, and I'm talking about with some real big time talent and number nine at quarterback, you struggled. What the hell are you gonna do now with a new quarterback and a lot of new pieces? You're gonna struggle again. So I can understand where you're coming from. I just think that the coach, I think coaching, character, locker room, and this kind of presence of winning gets you to nine wins. But it's going to be a tough nine. Yeah, I, it's going to be a really tough nine. Mike Detay, our guest. I'm Scott Prather, ESPN 1420. I think we're only separated by a game or two. You know? Yeah, yeah and, that's and all it it's is. It's like, you know, but that's <laughs> – that can make or break a season. That gets you in or out the playoffs. But I, I I hear a lot of optimism, which I'm I'm good with from Saints fans to each their own. Um, I, I think the Will Lutz injury is. You talk about those those you know getting off to a, a slow start, even in the wins. Thinking about some of those game winners he's hit early in seasons, and what what Brett Maher can can or can do. Just so many, just the. The overall abundance of various issues, you know, you can, yeah, you can sustain one, two, three, but whenever it starts to pile up, um, it's it's difficult to overcome. I think if they had a poor coaching staff in place and didn't have the continuity on the staff that they've had, you know, I think my outlook would be a lot more grim. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of. There's nothing you said, Mike, that I I didn't um, agree with in regards to. The outlook, um, what they've been able to do with that staff and everything else, and 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 there's nothing you said about the preseason that I don't, you know, that I didn't agree with. It's I've always kind of looked at individual performances as well. I've never gotten too up or down based on what you know if you win or lose in the preseason. And we have so many examples of why you really just can't or shouldn't do it. It doesn't mean one thing or another. So. Let's let's look at Saturday's game and let's let's shift to the positive side of things. What was your most positive takeaway from Saturday's preseason game for the Saints against the Ravens? Uh, it'd be a dual situation. The play of Marcus Davenport and Zach Bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know you watched tape of this and I'll, I rewatched it yesterday. <laughs> that cat for the Ravens, he's still trying to block Marcus Davenport. Good luck. I mean. Uh, he either ran him over or you ran around him on, on every down. He was an influencer. Uh, nothing helps a, a questionable secondary better than a pass rush. And, boy, if Marcus can stay healthy, you got you something here. Because he's a six foot six dude with arms like a big condor, and he is athletic. 
Again, the big question mark is, can he stay healthy? And I always referred to him earlier in his career. It's a Pete Jenkins line, but I'll, but I'll steal it from Pete. Pete was talking about there's two kind of defensive linemen in this world. He said one is a carpenter's helper player, a guy that, you know, he's not quite sure on how that design is going to turn out, and he may need a little bit of help on a cut, certain cut. And he, But he can help you do a lot of different things to help set up the finished carpenter. And he said then as the finished carpenter, the guy that I mean, he knows kind of where to set everything up. He don't make a bad cut. You know, he puts everything in place, makes the good decisions. I think we're on the verge here of if Marcus can stay healthy, and again, that's a big if, you are seeing the transition from a carpenter helper to a finished carpenter. And he 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 raised three kind of sand uh, Saturday uh, coming up the field. And and also in run support, man, he just kind of stoned that dude at the line of scrimmage, and he shoved everything inside. That, that running back twice uh, on plays that he thought he had an opening to the outside, Davenport just stoned that lineman, and he cut it back inside right into where the teeth of the action was. So that jumped out at me, and again, I just hope Marcus can stay healthy because he certainly gives you a big presence. And, you know, you think about with Cam on the side, with um, Eno Passano, uh, who can play both end and tackle, uh, Carl Grandison, uh, who's a guy that's shown him some, some skills, especially as a pass rusher, and he's got his weight up now. And uh, his technique is down good. And along with Peyton Turner, hopefully, uh, then you've got yourself five guys that can really get out to the quarterback. But you paid so much for Davenport that you want to turn potential into production. So I was impressed in game one. That, again, the, the Ravens had no uh, clue to block him. And again, Ronnie Stanley wasn't playing. If he'd have done that against Stanley, then I'd have really been excited. But uh, again, you saw improvement from him and his ability to really kind of dominate up front. And Zach Bowen, uh, Zach, they moved him all across the board. Uh, Sean initially was, well, my vision for him is as a middle linebacker. My first thought is he ain't never played middle linebacker yeah. before in his life. He was a quarterback turn, safety turn, strong side linebacker. So what the Saints did, they moved him to strong side. Uh, you know, I, I think they experimented a little bit in training camp with him in the middle and said, eh, let's put him where he's a little bit more comfortable. I, I thought he looked out of place last year. Now, he seemed to be very hesitant, uh, not making a quick initial step toward the line of scrimmage. And he took some bad angles to the football. And his coverage skills, okay, <laughs> I, I saw this deal about uh, they had done this analytical study about how good he was in the coverage part of the game. Okay, my thing is you could not have watched Wisconsin play with Zach Bond. He was a get-up-the-field pass rusher. He was a guy that stayed a lot right in the what I call the, you know, the killing ground, so to speak, up front uh, in run support the first two or three yards. Every once in a while he would draw, he would drive back and soft coverage, but he wasn't a guy used in the coverage part of the game. I don't know how this hee-haw got out about that. He struggled there. 
And so they made the decision to move him to the weak side. And he had never played that position before, but it gave him the ability to run the field and range, which he's very good at. Man, he's a really good athlete, and he can run the field well. Scott, right off the bat in training camp, you could see that he got it, that he was not hesitant to move from side to side. He was not hesitant to get up into the gap to make a play and run support. We all know he can rush the quarterback. And he seems much more comfortable in reverse than I saw a year ago. But again, I think coverage, if you're a good athlete and you're a former safety, you can adjust to that. He just hadn't been asked to do that at Wisconsin. His job was, okay, you play in that front three or four yards, stop the run, and are you rushing the quarterback? So it was a false information that what he could do as a coverage guy. He hadn't been asked to do it. So it took him a little while to get it under control. What you saw Saturday was a guy that ran the field extremely well, dropped back in coverage well. He was played right up on the line of scrimmage, and then he rolled from side to side. He cut the bootleg off for McSorley a couple of three times, and so I was impressed with him. Uh, his athletic skills, but I, I thought he's had a really good training camp so far. And for a position he has not played before, he had always been a strong side guy. Not a move to the weak, but it looks as though that more suits his athletic ability than playing uh, sort of where he had played at a lot at Wisconsin. And if I had a third take, was certainly. Um, you saw Paulson Adebo that, and he was not playing against the ones uh, for the Ravens receivers, and they sort of picked on him, but he showed some titanium in the backbone. Um, you know, he was ready for the test, and when you're watching him in training camp and watching him Saturday, you see the size. Um, he's a lengthy corner. He's quick to get out of transition. He reads the receiver's route very well, and he makes a play on the ball. Now, how quickly all this will translate as a rookie to the NFL when it's real, we're fixing to find out. And I still believe the Saints have got to go out and get a veteran cornerback. And to be honest, I think two of them. But you saw him being able to translate good practice sessions into playing in a game, even though it was preseason, because that's all you can judge it on at this stage is that. And certainly the short time Marquez Callaway, his setup ability, he, he was always a pretty good route runner. But where I think he's made his biggest improvement is in his ability to set up a defensive back and get open downfield. That he, Just a little setup, maybe a head move, shoulder move, little body movement and getting a little bit more separation downfield. And then Tony Jones, I've seen him play from high school to Notre Dame to the Saints. He's not the fastest dude in the world, okay? Uh, but he's real quick. He His eyes are always up the field. He runs with a lot of power from the waist down, and he catches the ball so smoothly. Uh, coming out of the backfield. 
it is something he has always been good at. We watch, um, and he got cut loose yesterday, but Stevie Scott uh, from Indiana, okay? And he's a big bruiser as a runner. But he couldn't catch a cold if he was naked in Russia. I mean, the ball was hitting him. He had two, three opportunities. The ball would hit him in the head, the shoulder, the stomach, and he would double, either double clutch it or drop it. He, he's not a natural with it. With Tony Jones, what you saw was a guy that can catch it, and then he can get up the field. Again, he's not a real fast player, but he's quick, he's decisive, and he's a power runner uh, between the tackles. And so that that part of it, uh, I, I really liked uh, in Saturday's game. Uh, but Marcus Davenport, to me, along with Zach Bond, were the two highlights. The other guys really played well too. Take nothing away from Tony Jones and, and Marquez Callaway and Paul Sinadibo. Those guys played really well. But what stuck for me was to watch the development of Davenport. Again, knock on wood. Hope he can stay healthy. And Zach Bond. His development in one year, and while he's been bounced around all over the place, you see uh, that weak side spot's a natural for him, and it shows when he plays. ESPN1420.com, great stuff from Mike Dettelier, our guest. Um, Mike, I'm <clears throat> circling back briefly to Zach Bond. Just, it, it, it's his burst and acceleration that I was taken back with, you know, um, and and as you pointed out, why he just seems to be more suited on the weak side. But he did everything well, as you said. You know, uh, blitzing, coverage, run defense. But whenever it, it's just that burst where out of nowhere, boom! All right, he's meeting the running back in the hole. He saw what was coming. You know, and I don't I don't know where his strength is in terms of trying to fight off a you know a a, a block against a above average blocker, but I'm sure we'll, we're going to get more Zach Bond in, in the next two preseason games for sure. But it's simply in terms of just burst and speed and being able to, you know, read a design play, albeit in a preseason game. I, um, I came like, like with Davenport, it's always been kind of like, man, if he puts it together, but you know, this injury thing, what's going to happen. And so when he has those games, I, I try not to, like, get teased, right? I mean, I get excited, and then I'm like, well, let's wait and see. With Bond, I mean, I had I had no expectations. Like, I, I guess what I'm saying is I wasn't surprised by Davenport's uh, performance. Not that it wasn't awesome, right? But I was surprised by Zach Bond because after last season, I mean, my expectations for him were, were pretty much nothing. I mean, well, Pete Werner's not making the trip. Okay, I guess more Zach Bond. You know, Quan's getting over the injury. And he uh, he, to me when we're looking at the positives from Saturday was number one on the list. I just, I, I know I'm not saying anything you haven't already harped on, but I just, I can't put enough emphasis on how, how impressed I was by him. Well, the other thing too is last year he looked like he wasn't sure what he was supposed to do. Okay. And it goes to show the difference between playing college football, even at a school like Wisconsin and playing in the NFL. There's an adjustment to that. Um, and some guys can do it, you know, because uh, I've had people say, well, uh, Justin Jefferson did it. Okay. He's playing receiver. He's not playing linebacker. I, I can practice pitch and catch, okay, with a receiver and almost like that with a running back. Uh, last year was a kind of a strange year anyway because you didn't have the rookies 
a camp. You didn't have the rookie session, the OTAs, that sort of thing. So, and no preseason. So for Zach, he's kind of learning all this on the run. And it, it's different. It's a different world. Uh, you know, <laughs> got people that want to argue with me. Well, you know, playing, uh, you know, what's the difference in playing high school football and pro football? Yeah. No, what's the difference? Uh, a play you might have made as a high school player is something you dreaming about in the NFL. These guys are bigger, faster, stronger. And no matter where you've played, there's an adjustment period to playing in the NFL. Zach always was a really good athlete. There's a guy who was a former high school quarterback, track sprinter. Uh, he was part of a football 400 meter relay team. He ran 110, 220s. Okay, I, I know he's an athlete, but you got to know what to do on every play. Last year, he seemed confused, and there was some hesitancy. So when you're not real sure, what your deal is you don't react with the same speed and acceleration that you would if you knew what to do last year, you know, because now he's had all these courses not only in the uh, practice sessions but also in the film room with other linebackers and your linebackers coach to kind of show you this is what you should be doing. And it's it, it sort of starting to click for him. And what I didn't know about was being moved to a position he had never played before. And there is a difference in playing on the strong side and the weak side. But I think it fits him well because he's so rangy and because of his foot speed. So um, he certainly jumped out, and you could tell. You know, he, he jumped out on, on the field with his ability to run and also his ability to cut off that bootleg play. That that's what McSorley wanted to do a couple times. He wanted to run the boot. And listen, he's like everybody else. He has seen the Saints not being able to cover that. And Zach was step for step with him. Uh, so I thought he had a really good game, but it's basically translation of what he's done in practice. He's done that in the practice sessions. We could see it early on. He's much more decisive. And so he gets it. And so it's not about thinking now. It's just reacting and getting up the field or dropping back in the coverage part of the game. And, again, he played some safety. So he does know how to cover. But I thought last year in watching him, he seemed to be a little slow to kind of kick that body in reverse. He's thinking, okay, should I, should I get on the back pedal now? And now it's natural to him, and I think that's just, this is why you're going to see uh, the jump with people like uh, Ruiz at guard, Adam Troutman, and along with Zach, and that now they've gotten playing time, experience, film room work, practice time, and it all sort of comes together. Uh, it certainly has helped Marquez Callaway. Uh, Jawan Johnson's and also another uh, moving from wide receiver to the flex tight end where we've seen him do a lot of different things with Jawan and he's a really good athlete and he catches the ball well and the one thing I, I know if you go to Penn State or you go to Oregon under that coach the first thing they teach you how to do ain't catching a football 
is downfield blocking. Because if you can't do that, then you're not playing at Penn State. You're not playing at Oregon. Not with Mario uh, coaching, Christopher coaching Oregon. You ain't playing unless you can block. And so I'm not saying he's a devastating blocker, but he knows how to get in the way. You got some of these tight ends today, you got to teach them how to get in the way because they've been mainly a receiver all their life. Uh, and we have all these camps here on the bayou. And, uh, man, that was a big kid that came uh, this year, and he's 16 years old. Scott, he's six foot four. He's 218 pounds. He's just entering his junior year. So I go up to him and I said, hey, I said, um, you play on defense? Oh, no, 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 sir, no, sir. Uh, I'm either out wide uh, in the wide position or I'm a flex tight end. Wow. I said, you, do you know how to block? And he was like, uh, no, sir, but I know how to get in the way. <laughs> I said, well, that's good enough. Man, listen, I said, if you know how to get in the way. And so you could see in the blocking sessions, he knew how to cut your angle off. And I watched him because once he told me, yeah, I'm not a great blocker, but I know how to get in the way. He could cut you off. Okay. Um, if, if you knock that guy to the ground, okay, that's all great and fine. But if I cut that defensive end off and he doesn't make the play or that outside linebacker off, I've done my job. And so this big kid, and, and I mean, he just turned 16 years old when we had him at our camp here. He was up front with me about it. <laughs> I'm not a great blocker, but I know how to get in the way. And that's what you see with Juwan. He's not going to be this devastating inline blocker. You don't see you don't see many of those today. Just because the game has dramatically changed. But he knows how to get in the way. And he cuts your angle off to make a play. Man, listen, today in today's game, I'll take that any day of the week. So um you can see that that free agent class that they had in a year ago, uh, college free agent class, as uh, is much better just because they've had more time to practice. Football is not a light switch. You can't just flip it on and off. Okay, you got to practice it. Uh, now, Ricky Jackson used to have that line: "Man, Mike, practice for is for the unskilled." And for some guys like Ricky, that's true. But for the 99 other percent of people, you know, they need to practice it to get better. And you see the rookies now. Uh, Ruiz is, is a perfect example that he looked like a fish out of water a year ago. He had played center for two years for Michigan. He had played some guard as a freshman, but really had been a center. And he found out these guys in the NFL, this ain't the Big Ten. <laughs> okay? Um, and he got the, the stew kicked out of him. Uh, in a pass protection sets. That's where he really struggled last year. He's much better this year. Troutman, a uh, much more refined route runner. And he's always a big guy that could kind of get in the way as a run blocker, and he could catch. But his ability to run a, a strong route, and if it's 10 yards, it's 10 yards. We hear Curtis Johnson daily. Because uh, you got some of the receivers, man, they're cutting it off at nine, or they're running it out to twelve. And <laughs> Curtis is on him, and he gave me a little wink one time because I'm standing not far from him, and he was like, "Hey, if I tell you to run ten yards, run ten yards, because you're gonna make the quarterback look bad." And for most people, they watch games on TV. I got cut that thing off at at eight yards or nine yards, and it's supposed to be a ten yard route. Oh, 
quarterback messed up the throw. Or if it's 12 yards, he runs it. Oh, quarterback didn't hit the receiver. But it's the receiver got to run in the, the proper route. And Curtis is on him about, hey, we on sync here, right? And if I tell you to run 15 yards, it's 15 yards. If I tell you to run 10, it's 10. Understand. And he is trying to emphasize that with a lot of young receivers uh, to make sure that you run the proper depth on your routes. And the guy we didn't see, to me, has been really impressive. And using him on no jet sweep or no little wide receiver screen no more. And that's Deontay Harris. Scott, he's up against the corners, and he flies by those guys. I mean, absolutely flies by them. So why am I wasting him on taking a nasty shot right up, you know, in that that front line on a jet sweep or a wide receiver screen? Man, I'm sending him deep. I'll keep that safety out of that box. The first time they're going to see Deontay take off downfield. Now he's got to beat man coverage, and he's got to beat press coverage. But, man, can he scoot, and he's got a certain speed, you know, because some guys, eh, they track fast, put on a helmet and shoulder pads. They ain't the same. You know, it slows them down. Deontay, man, it don't slow him down. Now, he's not a real big cat. Now, he's five foot six, and they list him at 170, but I'm willing to bet you dollars for donuts that second number's a six. Um, so, man, he's um, – He's been the guy, and Callaway gets a lot of ink, and, and deservingly so. I think he's really practiced well. You saw it early in the game. He's a bigger receiver. He catches the ball well. But the guy that you talk about scare you is Deontay Harris. Now, you probably won't have him for a couple games due to the incident in the offseason, but uh, when he's going to get on the field, the stuff of using him with sweeps, wide receiver screens, Man, let somebody else do that. I won't send him deep downfield and say, hey, buddy, good luck trying to cover him. Because if you don't reroute him early, he's running right past you. And as you said, Mike, when you've got the when you've got him running the jet sweeps and the other things that they've used him with, and a little bit we've seen him on offense. I know it's kind of he makes these oohs and ahs plays. And guess what? He also takes big shots and he ends up getting hurt. The loss, the net loss you take in the return game when you don't have that guy back there yep. is significant. I mean, he's an all-pro return guy, and I think Peyton, I'm hoping, is a little more judicious and caution. You know, use him on offense, but as you said, let's use his skill set, let's get the most out of him, but let's try to save his body a little bit because we don't want to lose this part of the game. Mike, to tell you, our guest, ESPN1420.com, I'm Scott Prather. So in, in, in talking about the receivers, it's a good way in tight ends, good way to transition to the quarterback spot because you saw the timing um, off at time Saturday, which is to be expected, which is natural. But between Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston, um, you know, it's it's we haven't gotten it to it yet, so let's just do it, Mike. I'm sure you've talked about it at nauseum at this point. But now we have one preseason performance under our belts for this year. I don't know that we got any closer to who's starting, who's not. I would expect Jameis to maybe get the start next week since Taysom did, you know, uh, Saturday night. But, you know, what what stood out to you? Like, let, let me rephrase it. Is there Do you have any kind of different perspective on the Saints' current quarterback situation after Saturday night's game than you did before, or is it pretty much the same as it was when camp started? 
Yeah, I think it's pretty much where it was when the camp started. Um, both have had moments where they've thrown the football really well, and both have had moments where you shake your head and say, who the hell's throwing the ball? But you got spoiled, okay? You got spoiled. Um, we watched Drew throw 20 passes, 18 were completions. There was one drop, and he misfired once. Okay, you got used to that, so you get spoiled with it. These guys ain't doing nothing close to that. And I'm talking about this is skeleton drills. But but Drew was so good at, at, at that. His timing, his precise ability to put the football right there where a receiver could catch it. Uh, it was unique. Uh, I'm not real sure in my lifetime we, I'm going to see another one like him, to be honest, in the Saints uniform. So you're going to have a, a an uneven ride here. You're going to have games in which whoever's the starter uh, you know, he's going to look real good, and he's going to have other times where he's off. Now, one thing I will say with Winston, when he's on, <laughs> Scott, he's really on. Um, and you could tell in practice, boy, when he gets a hot hand, man, he can drill it in there. But the other thing I've noticed with both of them is they kind of have different trends of how they miss. With Jameis, when he's misses, it's normally high and wide. With Taysom, it's normally short and low. <laughs> and so we watch them in practice all that time. That's how it goes. When, when they're on, they're on. But when they miss, with Jameis, it's normally high, and it's a little wide. With Taysom, it's normally really low and sometimes short. And so he's aiming the ball. He's not just naturally letting it come out of there. But I was impressed with Taysom that he held his water and didn't run out of the pocket. Uh, he had a couple instances where the Ravens are coming at him. And he's seen blitzing now from the inside. And, you know, his natural instinct in the past would have always been, I'm taking off running with it. He's a little bit more patient uh, with his throws from the pocket today than he was last year, maybe certainly the year before. With Jameis, uh, you saw that um, the one, the interception, too, should have been caught. I mean, come on. The, the ball's there. It's not going to be a pitcher-perfect pass every time. you got to make that play. Uh, but, again, I think a head coach knows when he walks into training camp, he sort of knows who he thinks will be his I just always believed that. I thought it was the same way with Ed Ogeron. He could say it's a competition, but I think Coach O sort of had a feeling who was going to be his starter before Miles got hurt. I think not today. I think Sean has a feeling who his starter is going to be. Now, he's not going to tell you because he feels as though it's none of your business. It's his business. That's why he's getting paid uh, the way he is. And I think also, too, he wants to keep you a little bit and a little bit off-center. And so maybe I'll leak something out, you know. Maybe I'll leak something out to somebody that uh, maybe so-and-so has a little bit of a lead. And that's really not the case. Got to be careful with coaches, I hate to tell you, because I got them in my family, but sometimes they don't tell you the truth. Well, it, it certainly, it certainly <laughs> and I got not a good on the friend record, like that, too. You know? yeah. And I got a good friend like that, too. Now, he don't lie to me. He lied to me on other stuff, but he don't lie to me about coaching. Uh, but, again, it's it's part of – 
I think the coaching deal here where you're going to see a little bit, certainly more inconsistent moments because that guy, number nine, was special as a passer. Now, we live in a world, Scott, where we can't admit sometimes that somebody else is that much better than us or someone else. He was that much better. And the best line I ever heard about Drew Brees was came from Mike New, who's the coach now at Ball State. And I said, what it is, you know, how it is coaching Drew? Because he was the quarterback coach. He looked at me and said, do you really think I'm actually coaching him? <laughs> I said, okay, whatever you're doing. And he said, Mike, when you are in a room with Drew Brees, it is like listening to a history professor teach you history that hasn't happened yet. He said, that's how good he was. He could tell you days before a game what coverage that team was going to be in down-distance situations. He said, and, and he said, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. It basically was nine out of ten times. He was dead on right. You know, a lot of times he'd come to the sideline. Sean would tell him, hey, Drew, let's run this play, Drew. <laughs> Coach, it's not going to happen because they're going to adjust. That safety's going to come up. <laughs> and he said, you, Mike, I can't tell you how many times he was dead on center right. Now, again, the one thing he couldn't beat, he couldn't beat Father Time. Father Time rang his bell, okay, like he does everybody. In every, any profession, he rings your bell. Uh, if you live long enough or you play long enough, uh, that's going to happen to you. And so I think we're going to look back and say, boy, at the end of this season, man, that number nine was really good. Because I think you're going to rock the roller coaster. And I think Sean's going to use two quarterbacks throughout the season, to be honest with you. I think he's going to try to throw a little bit. I think you're going to, you know, he's going to come up. And my thing has always been this. If I start Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston's on the sidelines. I can't use him at any other spot. But if I start Jameis, I can use Taysom a lot of different areas. I can use him in a lot of different positions offensively. And I need as many playmakers as I can, right? So why would I sit one guy down just to play the other at one spot? So that's always been why I've always felt Winston's the guy because I can use Taysom in a lot of other areas and sort of mix and match. And defensively, it's all about you better be in the right spot. If I can catch you out of position, even if it's three times during the game, and I could get 17 points out of that. I can get two, I can get two touchdowns and a field goal. Mike Dettelier, our guest, great stuff as always from Mike ESPN fourteen twenty. I um, yeah, I, I I that's my thoughts as well in regards to Winston and Hill and how to best utilize them. Any year where we said Mike, sort of the, I guess the me the middle part of the roster, kind of the the I, you know, a metaphor we were talking earlier, you know, in the seven o'clock hour about how what you've lost is kind of that middle part, right? Your depth is now a lot of young guys. Maybe it's a little more thin. It's not sort of those meaty veterans. You know, it's like if you always go to the sub shop and, 
you always put double meat on your sandwich. That's been the Saints roster the last four years. Now they don't offer double meat anymore because, you know, maybe because of the cap they couldn't afford it, whichever, whatever you want to go with it, some injuries, suspensions. And so having Jameis back there and then being able to utilize Taysom in a role that I think he's best at, it just feels like the way to go. But with Peyton, it's it's hard to say, Mike, because I think a lot of people last year – you know, with the exception of maybe one or two days before the game, figured Jameis was going to be starting after Breeze got hurt. And that wasn't the case. And I know it's a new year, and I know we've had an offseason and everything else, but I, I, my final question on the QB situation, and then I, I want to talk some college football with you, is when do you think Sean Payton will announce a starter? Is this the, the, the week of, you know, is this game week, week one against Green Bay, or is this going to happen in a week or two? And, you know, or, or is it going to happen in a week or two, but he's just not going to let the cat out of the bag until just before the season opens? I think it happens game week. I think it happens the week leading up into the Green Bay game. Now, why should I tell you now? You know, why should I tell you in two weeks? Because that's what everybody, well, Sean needs to tell you. Well, he don't need to tell you nothing. Okay? He don't need to tell you anything. That's not his job. He's not the PR director for the Saints. He's the head coach. And why should I tip my hand to the Packers to begin with? You know, uh, I'm going to force them into game plans for both Winston and Hill. And while I still think that you were going to see both of them in that game, I'm not tipping anything. Now, again, you never can keep a secret in the NFL. Because first things first, you get on that practice field and that guy's taking all the first string reps and don't take long for one guy or two guys on that team to text it out to somebody real quickly. And so I would think it'll be game week that you're going to find out. And and last year, listen, he kept his promise. You know, um, he had always told Taysom that, hey, something happens to Drew, you my guy. I'm, you know, you're going to be the starter. And he kept that promise. Now, he, ain't got, he, he hadn't promised anybody anything. Now, uh, it would be, it's, I think it's just intriguing how this is all going to play out. And this is why I think the first four games of the season are going to be kind of almost a test period for what they want to do. And that's why, you know, you could get off to a one-and-three start. But, I, again, history does repeat itself. And when you see how well that they have hit their stride in October and November, I think by then, and possibly getting Michael Thomas back, uh, Anyamata will come in somewhere in October. Uh, you would have Deontay Harris and Lattimore at that time after their suspensions. So you're a different team. Come on, you can't tell me you're the same team without Thomas and Anyamata and Harris and Lattimore. You're not the same team with four guys not there. And in the past, yeah, you've won games without Drew. But they also had a pretty good supporting cast around them. Uh, And this year, the supporting cast, a lot of them have zero on the NFL resume. Little to zero. So 
it, it's a different world. In just a different world, you're looking at a different world you're in. Also, too, I think what helps the Saints is other than the Bucks, and that and that's a big other because they are the defending Super Bowl champs. Uh, are you scared today watching the Falcons? No. If, if anybody watched that game Friday, you talk about the Saints don't have a lot of depth. The Falcons got zero, Mm-mm. and the Titans drilled them. Um, it was a lot worse than the score even indicated. Um, and Carolina is a lot of I don't knows. They do have a lot of young talent. They played last year on defense. But can you tell me how good Sam Darnold's going to be? Nope. Can you tell me if Christian McCaffrey can stay healthy? Their offensive line has been, you know, uh, shuffle the cards. Uh, so I do know Joe Brady can coach. <laughs> he Joe can coach. Uh, so they do have that going for them, but there's unknowns there. I've always felt Matt Rule year three would be the year that he could piece it together, that that he would have all these sort of pieces in place, and they'd make a strong run in year three. But this is year two for him. So you you also in the NFC South where you know the Bucks are, are the kingpins, uh, even though they didn't win the division, they won what really matters. They they won the world's championship in, in pro football, but you do play four games against Atlanta and Carolina combined, so that can certainly help you win loss uh, situation. And and Sean's done really well certainly the last few years against Atlanta and also against Carolina. Uh, now so, some of that toward the end of the year where you were kind of just playing the year out is one thing, but I do think that um, that certainly helps you that it's not the NFC West when you look at how that's cut. Mm -hmm. Mike Dettelier, great stuff. We could go on forever. Um, Love talking Saints, love talking NFL. Mike, can you stick around? Because I know some uh, Cajun fans and LSU fans want to hear your thoughts on those two teams, both ranked in the top 25 as college football is right around the corner. Sure enough. All right, we're back. Stay tuned. Back in four minutes. The great Mike Dettelier, my guest this morning. It's the great Scott Show, ESPN 1420.com. Don't go anywhere. Back into the great Scott Show, the great sports callers open think tank. My guest this morning, the great Mike Dettelier at Mike Dettelier on Twitter. You can hear him on WWL weeknights. You hear him um, all over the place, really, and you have for years. One of the best in the business, college football analyst, pro football analyst. We talk pro. Mike, let's talk a little college football because you've got two teams in the state of Louisiana ranked in the top 25. One of them uh, here in Lafayette. Uh, we are the flagship station for Louisiana's Rage of Cajuns here. And Coach Napier is entering a season where you've got 19 returning starters, even though he doesn't want to commit to say, well, everybody who started last year will have their same spot. You know, he's keeping it competitive in fall camp. A quarterback with a lot of experience in a schedule that 
you know, might have some more ranked teams on it, but in terms of preseason rankings, only one, and that is week one at Texas. So you got number 23 at number 19, Network TV. And, you know, you've you've covered sports for so many years, Mike, and in particularly in this state. And in terms of just opportunity, I get it's a non-conference game. I get it's... I, I get all of that, but when you think of network TV, when you think of where the program currently is and that opportunity they have September 4th against the Texas team that currently is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite, if if you win that game, I mean, I, I, I think they have more to gain than lose, but I also think from a program standpoint, it might be the biggest opportunity they've ever had. It's, it's that big of a game to open up the season. Well, you think about it, it's uh, deja vu all over again. Because last year, Iowa State was talked about that same measure. Now, I know one thing. Last year, Iowa State, people looked at them as a better team than Texas today. You know, so, um, and you were able to get a W out of that. And so, yeah, it's a big game. Uh, and I think it's a big game because you've got a new head coach uh, at Texas now, and Steve Sarkeesian. And uh, I, I think he's the right guy for the job. Uh to be honest with you, a great recruiter, and um, he's he's pieced together a real strong staff there. How quickly it comes together, well, you know that that always is the question mark for any new coach at Iowa State. You had a guy that was established and a really good coach, and you beat them, uh, you know, sort of on their own turf. So it's interesting because of the fact you bring back so many of the guys that were part of that great season, you know, 10 and one of a year ago in the regular season. So, um, you know, it, it all, to me, it all starts up front. Uh, you, you gotta have the quarterback. There's no question about it. And so Levi coming back, uh, is a huge plus cause he's a playmaker. Uh, and he's improved as a passer. He's a much more accurate passer today than he was when he first came to, uh, University of Louisiana, and he throws the football on balance better. But, he, man, he gives you those skill sets of being able to extend the play because of his quick feet, and he's got running skills, which is always good to have as a quarterback. Uh, the way they're coming at you today, uh, you have you know the entire offensive line coming back, your receiving core coming back, your tight end coming back. I think uh, a budding star at receiver in Kyron Lacey. You and I talked last year at this time. I told you then, and I'm just telling you, I watched this young man. He played at Thibodeau High School, which isn't far from where I live. And he had a few great issues that he got straightened out. He, he took academics a little bit more seriously as a senior. But had he done that as a sophomore and a junior, he's not, he's not a raging Cajun today. You know, he's playing at an LSU or an Ole Miss or Mississippi State, whatever. He was that good. Great basketball player. His ability to use his size, leaping ability, sure-handed young man. So you have that part. Levi's the key. Uh, and you got that offensive line in front of you, that all return. Man, listen, that is something that's gold as far as I'm concerned, when you're trying to establish and make another jump up on the football level. And so it gives them a great opportunity because after you play Texas, you know, the worst fear about playing Texas is you get all beat up. 
that you would maybe sustain injuries that affect you the rest of the year. But, man, the opportunity is there uh, because of the fact this is all new for Texas, too, with Sarkeesian. It's all new for them uh, in that scheme. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting football game. And defensively, you match up well because of uh, what you got up front uh, along defensive line. Um, you know, you return everybody secondary-wise but one, and because Deuce is over here <laughs> with the Saints. Um, and your linebacking core is really strong. So uh, maybe question marks would be in the kicking game, uh, in the place-kicking part. Uh, that, man, you, <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to mess up there uh, because that can cost you somewhere along the line. But, man, what Billy has built there has just been phenomenal. And the fact that he's still there is really great because we all know that he had other suitors for him. Mm -hmm. He certainly had it. And, you know, high hopes this year because of what you've got returning. You've got your star quarterback returning. You've got so many pieces on defense. Now, again, you lost your top two backs. But, you know, we saw Chris Smith you know, at times, and, you know, it's all-purpose skills, and you got a couple of guys It's going to be running back by committee like we've seen in years past. So, and I'm anxious to watch that game, you know, September 4th, and to see, not say how much University of Louisiana handles things, how Texas handle gets punched in the mouth first game. Because, you know, that, that deal is, man, we don't have no, we're not playing LSU. We play in University of Louisiana because that's how they're thinking, you know. And yeah, they beat no Sun Belt team, but they can't play with us. They may find out that that's not quite the case, just like Iowa State found out, you know. Because I think last year, Iowa State, I think, came into that game a little bit overconfident. They felt, man, we got this. You know, we play in the Raging Cajuns, we got this. And, man, one big special teams play changed the the world in that game. Uh, So, again, I have high hopes for them. I really think they're a very good football team. I think they will be better in the pitch and catch part of the game than they were a year ago. You got your offensive line back. Now, you can't say they're going to be better as a running team. Come on, with those two guys you had in the backfield? Um Mitchell but, and Regus, yeah, doing yeah. – Regus had a hell of a performance Saturday night for Vegas. I mean, he was out yeah. there in that game. And so the, I think that they, they're going to be better in the pitch and catch part of the game, which I think is important in today's game. Defensively, you know, they weren't giving up a lot of big plays. If there's question marks uh, – there, there is a question mark, Scott. I think it would have to be as a, in the place-kicking part of the game where they struggled early last year, made the change – and, it, and certainly it got better because in these close games that you get involved with, you need that guy. Um, and so that, that would be the only question mark for me. But Billy's built a tremendous football team. They have depth. They got speed. They got size up front. They can run the football. They can play that game with you, a power of football. But then they catch you and they can throw it deep. And, again, I think they got to start playing at receiver. I think that last year you saw glimpses of it as a freshman. I think this year he's ready to take it to another level. 
Chris Smith is uh, is going to be a special one too at running back. I think yep. this the trend of raging cage running backs getting drafted, playing on Sundays will uh, you know I mean he's only a sophomore this year, but he will continue that line at some point because he's got pro. I mean, all American last year is a return guy, but just kind of a, a violent runner in terms of how hard he runs. But he's got elite speed, and you know it's a team that loves to 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 run the ball to set up the pass and. With 140 starts between everyone on the offensive line, when you look at starters and guys that are backing them up, there's just a lot of experience here. And uh, Coach Napier told us last week, Mike, he's like, look, the super seniors coming back, you know, it, that's what he re- references the guys that yeah. got the extra year of eligibility because of COVID. He's like, that that helps. But he said, the reason we, we're as deep as we, we've ever been uh, since I've been here is because of the scouting and recruiting process. And when he said that, I don't think he's wrong, but, you know, talking to Billy, you know, with the mics off as opposed to with the mics on, as you know, Mike, can be can be different. But when, when he's on, say, a Zoom call with all the media, that's not something that, like, he does all the time. Like, he, sometimes it's more of the coach stuff. Okay, I'm going to answer questions. And he's, he's, he's great. He's nice, you know. But for him to just kind of respond with, whoa, 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 you know, my point is when he says something like that, I put more emphasis on it than a coach that's always overselling their team because Billy's kind of the opposite. You know, he's just, we want competition. We want to work hard. So when he says, look, the reason we're, we like, even if you didn't have the super seniors, we would be as deep as we've been since, you know, since I've been here, that stood out to me. And and when you think about, you know, your bigger programs are always going to be, you know, your big P5 programs are always going to be three deep, four deep. And then your G5s, that might not be the case. They might not even be too deep. This year, the Cajuns are two or three deep. And that's just, that's that's because of, you know, the super seniors help, but that's just because of the staff and the job they've done. And I um, I think it's going to be a historic season. There you go, continuity. And granted, you know, they continuity. got new guys on the staff, but having Billy there and, and the offensive staff being what it is, that's, um, you can't, you know, you can't put a price tag on it. Well, and a lot of times when I'm talking about continuity, I'm talking about player continuity. Yeah. Because these guys have played, okay, we played a lot of big games, all right? We've played in a lot of tough games. And so it's not so much momentum, because I, I, I'm i not a big believer in momentum. I, I think that that's an overused term. But I do believe in confidence. I've done it. I've been in this spot. We've overcome it because in football games, it's not always going to be, you know, picture perfect. You're going to have times where you don't play well and you got to overcome it. And this football team showed it. It showed it early last year. I think that that game against Iowa State gave them confidence. Man, if we can come back and win this game, come on, we're going to win a lot of games. And I think that that is something, the mental part of the game, which a lot of people don't quite understand. When you're playing bad, it gets in your head. The same way it does when you're playing good. And you start questioning when things go wrong. Am I being coached right? Is this the right scheme? Is this what we're supposed to be doing? But when you win you like, man, coach knows what he's doing, and I got confidence in the guy. I'm right by. I know he's going to do his job. There is something about that uh, psychological world of playing sports at that level. Okay, I'm not talking about 
this ain't Al Bundy, and this, you're not Polk High School. I'm talking about this is major college football, that there is a certain part of that between the ears of you believe you're going to win, and, you know, and you got that belief because you've done it before, there is a carryover. Momentum lasts as far as you get hitting them out the first time in the next game. Then your momentum is gone, but your confidence is always there. So, uh, man, I, I love what I see and what Billy has been able to do. And the fact that he's still there uh, is – I think that that translates to the players. Say, hey, man, you believe in us. You stick with us. You, you sticking with us. I, I do think that there is something to that, that, hey, listen, we all in this together, and, and I'm going to give Coach everything I got. Now, you might say, oh, all players say that. They might say it, but do they do it? When you, That's the yeah, big question, Mark. When you win and when you lose, man, it's it's the difference in everything. Um, yeah, I say it all the time. Like I, I'm, I want to ask you about LSU in a moment, but you know, you look at what Dan Campbell's doing in Detroit, and you know, some in the media love it, some tease him, whatever. I mean, however you feel about it. I know he's in New Orleans for a while, but you know, the press conferences, the personality, right? If he actually wins in Detroit, all of those things are going to be applauded, right? If he loses, they're going to make fun of him. And that's from a fan standpoint. From a player standpoint, that stuff starts to go one way or the other. That's really where it, it matters, you know. And when you're winning, you know, um, as we got you just for a few more minutes here, Mike, transitioning to LSU, you know, Coach O, I think, I don't remember when I heard him say it. I don't remember what interview it was. But he pointed out that, you know, all the things that, that he was celebrated all the all the things that make him a little different a little unique right whether it be the voice the personality whatever all of those things were celebrated after he wins you know the title in a dream season and he's like you know those are all the things people would tease me about whenever you know I was struggling at Ole Miss now they're all celebrated because like the when you're winning and losing the bad things become good things the good things become bad things it all is just that's what matters and for LSU you have the dream season, then last year you're 5-5. Five and five. And I, I think they'll be one of the more improved teams in all of college football just in terms of, of, of win share based on last season. Um, I don't think they're competing for a national title or anything, but but I, I look at this team, and I think we talked, I don't know, four or five months ago, and you were like, I just I got questions about that O-line. So how do you feel today about LSU and the O-line? Is that still the big question mark for you heading into the 2021 season? Yeah, I still got question marks about that offensive line. I got to see it, okay? You can tell me it's more physical, you know, because I've talked to O on the air, off the air, and he says that, but I got to see it. Also, too, is the I go back to the mental approach of things. You, after last year, uh, <laughs> I told you this, and I told this to O privately twice. It's not, you know, because people a lot of times, they man, I can tell – uh, about somebody, about how they handle, uh, you know, tough times. Well, you know what? I think for most people, they have a lot more tough times than they have good times. So you're used to handling <laughs> difficult times. My biggest thing to him is how your team handles success. Because I've seen it. We see it in our business. Scott, we got people that all of a sudden, they, they catch a fire, okay, uh, professionally. And they do great and they get to a certain level, they're not the same person anymore. 
For, for many of them, for some of them, they stay the same. For many of them, they don't. They, they're different. Okay, their work ethic isn't as good. Uh, they're more worried about their, their being a celebrity than doing their work. <laughs> they had every party you could possibly imagine. It's whoop-de-doo, whoop-de-doo, okay? And you forget about what it got to get you to where you're at. And you change personality, and then you start lashing out. If somebody tells you, you know, hey, critique my work and you give them something bad, man, it's like you held them up for your, for that money. Uh, so, I think, oh, I'm just telling you that that's the that eye of the tiger stuff is real. Okay, yeah, well, we got some we got we got some players here that that understand that. Okay, I get it. And what happened last year? Where was your leadership? Couldn't find it. If you had GPS, you made bad hires. Or, you know, offensively and defensively, you had to make changes. You made them, and and I think it was the right moves, but. They looked out of place, out of sync. They, the coaches and the players were not on the same page. And I think the coaches and the coaches weren't on the same page. He told me this, I think this was right before the Ole Miss game, uh, that they had given up 58 plays of 20 yards or more. And this is uh, nine games. God. Didn't even count no miss because it was the week of the old miss game. Uh, we, I got a chance to talk to him for a while, uh, and <laughs> I mean, I was stunned, and I knew it was a lot, but fifty-eight's a lot. And so, what you see this year, and I hear it in his voice, it, it wasn't the same. I, I know he put on a pretty good little act last year. Uh, that hey, listen, uh, you know, uh, is uh, you know not to blink and all this other stuff, but you could kind of hear, I think he knew it, that this was a totally different team. A lot of guys that went to the NFL, you had lost assistant coaches. It was a different football team, but also it was a different mental outlook. And it was different mentally for him because, you know, he had been sort of laughed at and sort of ridiculed. And now he's on 60 Minutes. You know, they're doing a feature on him on 60 Minutes. It's not to investigate him. It's to, you know, of the success he's had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think it does change you, no matter what. You can say, oh, it don't change the wall. How come 72% of Powerball winners are broke within 36 months? 36 months, man. In 36 months, 72% of them are broke. You know why? Because you've never been in that spot. You don't know how to handle money. Nope. You know, for, for most people, okay, if they give you $20 million bucks or, or $30 million if you take the lump, man, you got more relatives and, and friends knocking at your door that you can shake a stick at. Hire a lawyer need... and let them handle your money. Hire a vestment and say, hey, you know what, call them. Leave me alone. <laughs> somebody got to play the – somebody got to put the black hat on. That's right. That's right. And say No. And when you're a coach, I think a lot of times people around you have to be the villain to say, no, he's not doing this speech. No, he's not doing this commercial. No, he's not doing this. And I think last year, man, the bay was all over. I mean, every time I turned my TV on, he was, he was there. And that was the COVID year. And he was doing stuff with every channel possible. 
But somebody had to get in his ear and say, no, you're not doing it. And also, this is what's happening in the real world. See, that's the difference why I think Nick Saban is a cut above. He's got a couple guys around him. they like chief of staff. They come in every morning and they tell him, Nick, this is kind of what's happening in the real world. And be, be prepared to adjust. Um, we had Rick Venturi on and Pete Jenkins also, and both made the same comments that when things started to get really antsy uh, with racial tension during the summer of last year, that there every day Nick would meet with these two guys that were basically a chiefs of staff that were telling him, hey, coach, this is what's happening. Let us explain to you what's going on. Come on, Nick Saban ain't the type of dude that's sitting at his house and he's flipping that channel uh, to the CBS Nightly News or watching Fox News or whatever. Come on, (laughs) he ain't that guy. Uh, And neither is any other coach that I know of. Uh, You know, that's not what they're doing in their spare time. Somebody's got to tell them. And a lot of times those guys – or sometimes the most important people in your program to explain to you maybe things that you didn't experience yourself or what's happening in the outside world just to to have some knowledge of on. And Nick has always been great to adjust to that. I didn't think LSU adjusted at all. And, and when they adjusted, you know, by that time, okay, you could hear the, it was almost the aftershock. So I think this year – I think it's a very talented football team. I think the best defensive line, talent and depth, I've seen at LSU in a dozen years. When you look at the talent and the depth they have up front, that defensive line, you say, whoa, that's a lot of talent there. Um, Their secondary is really good. Hopefully they can stay healthy with Stingley and Ricks uh, because those two guys are special out at cornerback. Um, The linebacking position is still a little bit, up in the air on who becomes the starter. If it's Jones, now last week we had Coach O on with us. He said Jared Small would be the starter today at linebacker for him if, it, if they started that week. Uh, I think they're better. Uh, certainly at safety with Major Burns. Uh, it's going to give you some cover skills there. That's really, really good. And, um, you know, got a couple freshmen that's going to be pushing for playing time, too. Uh, at quarterback, uh, you know, you hate to see what happened with Miles, uh, happened to him. So, you know, it's Max now, and he's the guy. I would like to see one of the backs emerge. I, I always think Ed's going to play running back by committee. He's always sort of had that if it's no matter where he's been. If it was at USC, uh, at Ole Miss, at Tennessee, Miami, or Florida, he's always been that running back by committee guy. He believes in that. But one of the two have to emerge as the guy. And, boy, he's got four receivers, freshmen that really look good, uh, to go on with the next superstar at LSU, and that's Keishon Butte. But I still go right back to it. Can you win up front? You have four to five starters returning. Cam Wire saw a lot of playing time last year at tackle. And so um, now he becomes a starter. You hope you don't have many injuries because you mighty thin there, especially at tackle. But uh, I think it's going to be one and lost uh, up front. Defensively, I have no worries about that uh, because I know what they have up front. 
uh, and they've got a couple young kids and uh, Jaquelin Roy and a young man who played his high school football right down the road from me and Mason Smith. Uh, Mason may even start. I mean, he gives you some pass rush ability from the interior that you rarely see. And uh, so, um, listen, I look at this team as a 9-10 win football team, uh, and I think they could squeeze 10 wins out. But, man, that first game is critical because, yeah, you might say, ah, oh, we're a lot better than UCLA, and you might be. You know, you might be a lot better. I know you better. The a lot part remains to be seen. But you've got to go on the West Coast – and you got to take care of business. You can't have all these uh, mental breakdowns, uncertainties that you saw a year ago. And I always believe in this. And it was erratic last year, but at times it was really good. That was a pass rush. You look at what they have there with B.J. Ojolari, Andre Anthony, Ali Gay coming off the edge. Um, that's pretty good. And then, again, we talked about Jaquelin Roy, Mason Smith, Neil Farrell. Um, he's brought up Bryce Langston as a guy, as a true freshman that could see a lot of playing time. Uh, Jacoby and Guillory, who's a big horse in the middle. I mean, he's a big man uh, to stop the run. So I think, man, you win that game, <clears throat> you look at that schedule, Scott, they could roll that pretty good. Yeah, you, you don't have a ranked a team until the middle of October, you know, in and Florida. So, so now you're building up confidence. Hey, we we went on the West Coast. We beat them in their own backyard. Now, we'll say this. There'll probably have more LSU fans in them stands in the Rose Bowl than they will UCLA fans. <clears throat> and, man, they they selling beer and wine. Only thing I can tell them keep people there is they better stock up because they, gonna, they may sell out by halftime. Um, in the Rose Bowl, it's a different crew of uh, individuals headed there on the West. It's like spring break for them, you know. They, they headed there to L.A. for spring break. Uh, but I think it's a huge game for confidence that, hey, listen, we better on defense, and Max is not going to be the issue. And the receiving core is not going to be the issue. It is how well you play up front. Last year they was the softest toilet people. They got pushed around all over in every game. I see some people try to make an ex- – oh, well, part of that was you had an inexperienced quarterback. Well, part of that was you had inexperienced receivers. All I knew is Terrence Marshall saw a lot of playing time. Uh, he ain't no inexperienced receiver. John Trey Kirkland played a lot, you know, before last year. Uh, Jare Jenkins, he was no true freshman. And offensive line play last year was not good. And that's all about being physical. <clears throat> now, they do have a coach now. He preaches it. And I've, I don't know him personally very well, even though he did a couple camps. I know him a little bit, but not much. But I know people that have played under him. If you're not physical, you watch and you ain't playing. Because he preaches that Pittman version of you get after people. And if you don't do it, I will find somebody that will. So... Uh, I'm I'm encouraged, but I gotta see it. And Scott, I do believe for on offense, it's all gonna be how well that offensive line could play. I thought it was an underrated version of the 2019 team that that offensive line played well. You might say, oh, they had Joe Burrow, he bailed them out. Yeah, and he did. 
He had receivers that were really good, and Clyde was great. Well, guess what? Man, watch some of them runs Clyde made. Man, you could have drove a little truck through there. I mean, they were opening up some holes up front for him, and they protected Joe. That wasn't the case a year ago with new people, and they didn't seem to be coached well. And James wasn't getting it done on the recruiting end. You knew eventually something was going to happen. The, the surprise part that it, it took that long before the change was made, because I thought it would happen in January. I didn't think it would happen what, in May or whatever uh, he got released. But you got a coach now, and he preaches it. And, uh, <laughs> and he lets you know, too, man, he's got a very distinctive voice on you. It's not like Coach O's, but it's distinctive. So I think it comes down to offensive line play. And can you stay healthy in the secondary? I think that's a big key for them because Stingley's healthy. He's arguably the best defensive player in college football. And, man, Elias Ricks, he, he was impressive last year as a true freshman. So I'm looking at nine, ten-win football team uh, at LSU. But that first game. You know, beat the Bruins' butt, and then you're building up a little bit of confidence for the rest of the year. And if you somehow drop it, then the panic sets in. So you're right. Uh, Huge openers for uh, for LSU, and as we said earlier, for Louisiana at Texas. Uh, Mike, it's been great, man. You're always so generous with your time. Guys, I assume you already are, but just in case, if you're not following Mike, at Mike Dettelier on Twitter. Learn more about all of the content Mike's putting out there, MikeDettelier.com, co-host of WWL Sports Talk, and um, his draft report every year. It's the draft Bible, as I call it. Tons of content. You hear him on all over the place. Uh, one of the hardest-working guys in the business. He also works in show business. He and I, I mean, I, we, we talk off the air. I mean, Mike's got stories for... One day, Mike, you just got to write a book of all your stories, man. I know it might be like a 10-part series because you couldn't fit it all in one book, but I'll read it. I'll read it. Thank you. I appreciate it. No, listen, uh, I've been blessed, and uh, now the movie world is coming back. So, man, uh, I'm thankful that it's given so many people opportunities and jobs that uh, COVID kind of took everything away. They weren't doing that here and now. Uh, everywhere you turn now, they got a project going one way or another. So I'm thrilled for for the actors and, and people behind the scenes that uh, get opportunities. And uh, you might be hearing a big announcement uh, with a major company in Louisiana pretty soon on doing a lot of filming here. Can't wait. Thank you, Mike. All the best, my right. friend. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you at some point during the season, man. But we'll be following, we'll be listening, and uh, look forward to more analysis from you on the airwaves. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it, buddy. God bless. All right. You got it. The great Mike Dettelier. Big thanks to him. (laughs) Great way to kick off the week on a Monday, isn't it? It's ESPN1420.com.